if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would take them and turn to 1 Corinthians. Last week, we finished up a, a series that we had done for the month in, on the life of Naaman. And uh, today, I'm starting a, a series that I believe will probably go through March. And the title of it is A Greater Cause, A Greater Cause. We're going to be talking about service, a call to service. And before I begin, let me just say this. If there's one thing that I don't like, it is being manipulated to do something that I don't want to do. Any of you feel that way? Fourteen of you. The rest of you are all in for manipulation. So I just want you to know that the way that we're going to approach Scripture is not to make you do something that you don't want to do, but to provide a scriptural basis for why we should be willing to let the Lord lead us into whatever he wants us to do. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I'm reading verses 15 through 18, and then if you have your Bibles, you're going to want to hang on to them. We're going to be referencing several different passages of Scripture today as we go through this. But the Scripture says this, You know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia, and they've devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. Father, we yield ourselves to your word and ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would reveal to us areas that we can apply it, that you would reveal to us areas that we can yield to you and so that our lives would better resemble your heart for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As most of you know, last summer, Cindy and I took a sabbatical and when we were away, we went to 14 different churches to visit. On a number of those occasions, we had an opportunity to go out to lunch with the pastor and as we sat there, we began to just kind of interview them as to what was happening in their congregations post-COVID. And we begin to recognize that in almost all of these churches that the, a number of people who had been involved in service in ministries before COVID had drastically dropped post-COVID. People got used to staying home drinking their coffee, watching church in their pajamas in their living room, thinking, hey, I get all the benefits and I don't have any of the responsibilities. People got used to that. Some of you are watching right now in your pajamas. I was going to say we see you, but we don't, but we're thinking about you. <laughs> Interesting enough that out of the last 10 new families that we have had start to attend here that had filled out cards, seven of them indicated that the reason that they are here is because of the children's ministry or the youth ministry. It is interesting to note that of the ministries of the churches that have been hit the hardest as it relates to people that were serving, it is the children's ministry and youth ministry because those are the hardest work. It's hard chasing kids around. It's hard being involved with teenagers who will question everything. And yet, in these, we're discovering that that's one of the fastest ways that the Lord is growing his church. We discovered that there is a clear command of Jesus when he calls his disciples and he told them, follow me. And in doing so, in following me, there's something that I would like you to join with me in. And so as we start this series on a greater cause, it'll be done in the recognition that when we intersect the grace of the Lord, 
when our lives have been touched by his mercy and his grace, that there's something that is awakened in each of us that desires not to be spectators, but to be involved in what God desires of us. And we read, as we did in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, that here Paul is, is writing to the church at Corinth, and they are normal people going through normal things just like us. In fact, though Corinth and Syracuse are separated by both geography and history, there are some practical elements to the teaching that he presents here that are just as real for us today as they were to the ordinary people to whom Paul wrote. And he's providing in these personal requests and practical statements as he draws his letter to a close that begins to give us a perspective of ministry itself. Now, I recognize that as I use that term ministry, that there are some of you that believe that if you are called to ministry, it must mean that you then are an occupational pastor or that you are doing something full time. You need to know that in the scripture, the word ministry may also be variously translated as service. He has called us to be servants of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in various ways. In fact, it tells us in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus, as he was out for a walk one day, walking along the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, I will take the skills that you have, and I will redirect them so that you're not just catching fish. You're going to do something that will make a difference for eternity. And it said that once they left their nets... And followed him. In other words, they followed because he had something for them to do in joining him. And whether you are called to serve in the capacity of a deacon or an elder, and by the way, at the end of the service today, we will be installing our new deacons and our new elders that you just elected and appointed at our business meeting last Sunday night. We recognize that God is calling us to live for a greater cause than just for ourselves. How many of you know that that is difficult in this day and age when we hold ourselves up as the most important individual in everything that we do? In fact, the scripture indicates to us that there may be those that are called into full-time service and then there are those that are called into lay service, which in the Greek, it's, it's, it's from the word laos, but the distinction is not a distinction of value. It is a distinction of function. Let me repeat that to you. It doesn't matter whether you are in full-time ministry or part-time ministry or service. The distinction of the Scripture is not a value, but is a distinction of function. And service, the Scripture tells us, is where it is at. If you're lacking in the joy of the Lord, then serve, because that's where that begins to come from. And it's good for us today to get the apostles' perspective on what Christian service and Christian ministry look like. Here's one thing that you need to know. Service in terms of biblical discussion is not a pathway to greatness. Service is greatness. It's not the pathway to greatness. Service is greatness. In fact, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples who are posturing to be the greatest in the kingdom. And as I read this passage of scripture, I think of all of you who have more than one child, you parents, and, and your children believe that you love the other one more than you love them. Some of you are smiling. Some of you are going, I'm that child. I am well loved. Some of you are going, I've never been loved. 
But there's this ongoing tension that takes place in homes from time to time as children are maneuvering and working so that they can be the chosen one. They don't know that that means they have to take care of you when they get old, or they might not work so hard. But we see this also in Mark 10, 42 through 45, when it says, Jesus called to them and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become the greatest among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, uh, to serve, but to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, which indicates to us that ministry in the body of Christ, to the body of Christ, and through the body of Christ is not something that we do in hopes of being able to climb the rungs of importance in the church. That's the way it works in the places where you work, in the corporate world, or in educational or academic circles. But Jesus said, we don't do things, nor do I look at things the way the pagans do. I want you to know that he who wants to be greatest among you should become the servant of all. And it will be in the expression of service that greatness will be realized. Paul understood this. In fact, even though we're going to be talking about Christian service as it relates to his letter that he wrote to Corinth, that was not the primary reason, but we can extrapolate from that and draw some things as it relates to service. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he gives an outline of a principle when the apostle says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and the life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, let me reword that for you and summarize it in a way that might make a little bit more sense to us. If you look at this principle, what it is saying is this. He, namely Jesus, gave his life for me. That he, in turn, might take my life from me, which means I've been crucified with Christ, and that he might then live his life through me. And we begin to see then how it works out that when our lives are committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, we then become a willing vessel for him to work in and through us. In other words, I now live for a greater cause. I will serve people. Now, I would like to highlight two things this morning rather quickly. Because I recognize that in about five minutes, your stomachs are going to begin to growl as we get to noon. But I want to talk about, number one, it's the Lord's work. And number two, he uses a variety of people to accomplish it. Number one, it's the Lord's work. If you move back a little bit earlier than the text that we read today and you move to verse 10 of chapter 16, it says this, if Timothy comes to you, see to it that he has nothing to fear. And while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. Now, the Greek for that is Aragon kutiyu erguzatai. It literally means this. Works of the Lord, he works. Talking about Timothy. Works of the Lord, he works. In other words, Paul is saying, when Timothy comes to you, this is what's going to happen. He's not coming to establish his own name. He's not coming to create the Timothy ministry. 
He's not seeking to become famous or notorious. He is coming to work the works of the Lord. His energies will be to exalt me and not himself. In fact, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, in the previous chapter, Paul says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. How many of you have ever felt that what you're doing is a waste of time? Any of you ever felt that? I'm not asking you in terms of the church. I'm asking you in terms of life. That there are times that you look back on something, you go, that was a colossal waste of time. What Paul is saying to us is that anything that you do for the Lord, you will never, ever be able to say that was a waste of time because that which you do for the Lord is not in vain. He tells us also in Colossians 3.17 that whatever you do, whether in word or deed, that covers a lot of stuff, the way you talk and the way you act, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Which means that when you're on the job, wherever it is that you work and whomever it is that may be around you, you should be putting forth your best effort as if your boss was Jesus himself. That everything that you do, you work as unto the Lord. And it's a comprehensive phrase, whatever you do. And, and honestly, what this does is it removes us from the ability of saying that we have a spiritual life over here and we have a secular life over here. And that on Sundays I work for the Lord, perhaps on Wednesdays I work for the Lord, but then when I'm on my job, I'm doing things for me. The Lord says, when you've encountered my grace, when you're in a relationship with me, there is no secular and spiritual. Your whole life is spiritual. And that everything that we do, we do to give him glory. In fact, from the moment that we come to know the Lord Jesus as our Savior, his purpose in us is that we would reproduce what he has done in us. We're born to see other people become committed followers of Jesus Christ. I did a little research on statistics. By the way, <clears throat> as most of you know, you can make statistics say about anything. But here were a few that I came up with this week from Pew Research. 97% of people who identify as Christians say that it's necessary to follow the teachings of Christ in one's personal and family life. Excuse me, just one moment. It's dry in here. The reason I added that is because apparently there's 3% of people that call themselves Christian that don't believe you have to do anything to love Jesus or follow him. 94% of believing Christians say that leading, leading other people to Christ is a vital part of being a Christ follower. 94%. 75% of those people have never participated in a corporate prayer meeting. 90% of them have no devotional life, and this is the interesting one. 95% of Christians have never led anyone to faith in Jesus Christ. 94 said it's a vital part of being a Christian. 95% of the people that sit in our churches that know Jesus have never led one person. Some people are hiding behind the whatever in Scripture. Lord, I'm just going to do whatever. We need to do whatever he asks. In fact, it tells us in Mark, or Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, and I'm reading this from the King James Version. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works 
and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In other words, because we don't live secular lives and spiritual lives, but only a spiritual life, everything that we do should be allowed to be seen by people in such a way that they recognize that the motivation for doing those things cannot possibly be found in us as human beings. It must be spiritually motivated. That when they see Christ at work through us, they sit back and they are astonished at the fact that God would use you in such a way that what you do, they, go, they sit back and go, man, I can only glorify God for the way that you live your life and the way that you interact with other people. And so when Paul was looking at the Corinthian church himself, as he looks at them, he actually saw them and he talks about them in light of the Lord's work. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1, the very last line of this first verse of chapter 9, he says this as he's talking to the church. Are you not a result of my work in the Lord? The very existence of the church in Corinth was due to the fact that the apostle had been about the Lord's work and there was fruit that came from that. What he was saying is, listen, I'm not irrelevant, but he also makes it very clear that he is not preeminent. He said, I am doing this because I have been purposefully appointed the responsibility by God that he calls each of us to, and in engaging that, I allow the Holy Spirit to work through me and that God brings about the fruit of each of the ministries that we are participants in. The first question that should immediately come to our mind today for each and every one of us is this. So in light of Scripture, where am I in relation to the particular and specific tasks of shining out the glory of God in my life, declaring the truth of the gospel in my life, and where am I at work in grace assembly to help the kingdom begin to grow? Because I need you to understand, we have not been called just to sit. We have not been called just to absorb. We've not been called simply to sit here and learn, but we have been called to grow and to go, to produce and to provide. And we have to ask ourselves, where am I in this equation this morning? The Corinthian church was a product of the work of the Lord through God's servants. And Paul wanted everybody to know, listen, I don't want you to have any doubt about how this came to be. In fact, if you turn back to chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, you get Paul's classic teaching on this truth. As you read this, and for those of you that are studiers of Scripture, you'll recognize that the letter to the church at Corinth was because Corinth had a problem. In fact, they had a whole bunch of problems as it related to the kind of people they were. But one of them is that they had been stuck on personalities. They had begun to gather themselves together in smaller groups and little cliques around the elements that were demonstrated by the different pastoral staff members of the church at that time. There were those that were saying, oh, I, I follow Apollos. Apollos is my main man. There were other cliques within the church that were going, don't care about Apollos, but I'm a follower of Paul. He's the one that I'm loyal to. And then there were a third group that were saying, we are loyal to Cephas. In other words, the personalities of those that God was using had created people to, to love personality more than results. Does that not sound like our world today? We get so caught up in the personalities rather than the purpose of service. And it's interesting because it wasn't that Apollos 
was trying to gather a group to himself. And it wasn't that Paul was trying to develop the loyalty of the people or or Cephas. It was the Corinthians themselves that had developed an affinity this way toward these men. And the result was division within the church. And the division that had been spawned was worldliness, carnality, fleshliness. And it had all become just unbelievably childish. And so in addressing this, Paul says in verse 5, What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Now, in the Greek, the way that this is recorded for us is it was recorded in the neuter state, not in the masculine. In other words, it wasn't who are we. It was what are we. The issue was not the who, but what. And we live in a world that is preoccupied with the who. The evangelical world is preoccupied with the who. But God is interested in what, first of all. What is Apollos? What is Paul? And the answer is this. We are only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned each his task. So they didn't have any reason to glory whatsoever in what God was doing. Paul said, listen, all I am doing is I'm being obedient to Christ Jesus. Jesus told me that I was to be a chosen instrument to bear his name before the Gentiles. And as soon as I understood that, I got about the business of being business, uh, being busy trying to tell the Gentiles about Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying, I don't have any reason to be particularly excited or proud about the fact that you people have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Honestly, as you read, his, as you read this letter, he said, I'm, I'm actually more discouraged than I am encouraged because I've done such a poor job of personally being the pastor of this church that what I find among you is fighting and quarreling and immorality and chaos because you believe that you can experience God's blessing while refusing to separate yourself from the world's evil ways. So I have nothing that I can be proud of. And the only reason I did what I did is because the Lord assigned my task. And furthermore, the same has to be said of Apollos. I got the job of planting. Apollos got the job of watering. Now, I don't know about you, but isn't that the way that you divide up household responsibilities in your house? Every wife is looking saying, I sure wish it was that way in my house, that we would divide the way things up and, you know, one does this, one does that, and some of you husbands just put your head and look straight down. May this be an encouragement to you. (laughs) Can you imagine what the argument might have looked like If a husband and wife is walking up and down the rows of a garden and the husband says to his wife, look at this, I planted this. You see, I planted. She says, so what? I watered them. He goes, yeah, well, you couldn't have have watered anything if I didn't plant it. She goes, are you out of your mind? If I don't water those things, then they dry up, they shrivel up, and there's nothing there. And the Lord Jesus looks at both of them and says, are you both out of your mind? Because if I don't make it grow, the two of you are standing there in the dirt and your bare feet looking at nothing. The important person is not the one who plants or the one who grows or waters. It's the one who makes it grow. One commentator said this, the key to usefulness in the kingdom of God begins with self-forgetfulness. Let that just sink in. You want to be useful in the kingdom of God? Forget yourself. 
You want to be effective in the kingdom? Die to yourself. And this is hard. In fact, it is impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit. And so it tells us in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, Paul said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only the God who makes things grow. And this statement gives us three quick thoughts that I want to highlight in your thing. First of all, notice that it is God who assigns the tasks. God assigns the task. Now, currently, my son is a part of a church that has its own school, and and part of his ministry is that he's the principal of the junior high school. My granddaughter is a member of the elementary school of that, and there have been times that she has told me that she has walked around, she goes, do you know who my dad is? Do you know what my dad does? And I said, and how's that work for you, sweetheart? Not very good, Popeye. But I just want people to know that my dad is an important person. I think it's really fascinating that all of us, God assigns the task to us, so there's no point in any of us walking around like a peacock in full plumage because of the task that we have been assigned. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I do? So what? The only reason that you do what you do is because God told you that you can do it, and up till now, he is still allowing you to do that. There will come a time when he won't let you do that anymore. God assigns the tasks. He gives us the ministry. Secondly, in verse 6, God gives the growth. It would have been easy for Paul in the natural flesh for him to, to talk to people at a, at a church conference and said, yeah, I'm, I'm the lead pastor at Corinth. Do you know how many people we have? Do you know how big our church is? And the moment he would have said something like that, the Holy Spirit would have arrested him, and he would have had to stop and say, no, no, no. I shouldn't say that because, after all, I am only a servant in his hands, and nothing would have happened unless God gives the growth. And then in verse 8, tells us that God is the one who gives the rewards. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be re- and each will be rewarded according to his own success. How many of you are looking at the scriptures? Your head should have popped up at that and going, that's not what my Bible says. It absolutely is not. If you're looking at it, you recognize that God does not give you rewards based on your success. It says each one will be rewarded according to their own labor. Think about that. You will be rewarded for your faithfulness in being a laborer. Not the success of what you do. When you're stepping out in the foyer, you recognize that we have this map of the wall and we have little strings that go to all of the missionaries that we are supporting, and those are just a few. There there are some missionaries that are serving in places in our world that we can't identify them. In some of those places, there's mighty revivals taking place where today alone there will be hundreds if not thousands of people that will come to know Christ as their Savior. There are other people that God has called and placed them in places where four years of hard ministry might bring a handfall. If it was based on success, then there would be those who would be robbed of great reward even though they were faithful. But the Lord clearly says to us, you will be rewarded based on faithfulness. You see, he gives the assignment, he makes it grow, and he gives the reward. The last point that I want to make this morning is the Lord uses a variety of people to accomplish his work. Paul understood this. 
Part of the text that we read, he said, I was glad when Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit. Now, we're not told a lot about these individuals that he talks about. We don't know what they look like. We don't know what they did. We don't know whether they were involved in lay ministry or full-time ministry. But what we do know is that these guys were unbelievably important in the ministry to Paul. And Paul was letting everybody know, I am not a one-man band. Now, I looked that up this week because I remember seeing one of these guys in New York City. Some of you may have said, a one-man band. I remember walking in Manhattan, and there's this guy. He's got drums strapped to his back. He's got a guitar. He's got a harmonica. And I would try to show you what he looked like, but I would pull a muscle, and I would break my knees. But this guy, every time he moved one way or the other, this is as good as my dancing gets right here. I, just, I hope your, your expectations are not too high. But... But there were different sounds that came out when he moves a leg and boom, the drum, you know, and stop it. <laughs> and so it was, you know, and I remember looking at that guy going, is there nothing, is there nothing that that guy can't do? The body of Christ is a peculiar place for producing one-man bands. Paul said, I am not a one-man band. The Lord's servant must not be a one-man band. In fact, Paul says in chapter 16, he said, listen, I strongly urged Apollos to go to you. Now, I want you, again, look at the scripture in light of the difficulties that were going on there. There were people that loved Apollos way more than they loved Paul. Some were after Cephas. And so if Paul was trying to protect a ministry, he never would have sent somebody that he felt was a competitor for the hearts of the people back to Corinth. Paul knew the territorialism that was within the church. He knew that there was a group of people that favored Apollos over him. And if he was looking out for his own interests selfishly, he would have made sure that Apollos never went back to Corinth because maybe they would like his watering more than they liked Paul's planting. And what would save him from that thought? And what saves any of us from that thought? The fact that he was only concerned that the plants grew. That was his only concern. If his preoccupation was being worried that they would like Apollo's ministry better than him, he would never have sent Apollo's back to water because he would have been fearful of the impact that would take place if somebody else started to gain some popularity. And then there's the picture of Timothy that he begins to rise out. Timothy today, and in our terms at this particular stage of his life and writing, Timothy would be what we would call an emerging young leader. Somebody that everybody looks at and recognizes is uniquely gifted and is going to be a great leader. And as a result of that, he began to call and said, I want Timothy to come. And as Timothy began to come, you wouldn't do that if you were trying to protect yourself in ministry. And this is something for each of us in the ministry and in whatever it is that we don't mind elevating others more than ourselves. That we don't mind providing opportunity for others. What if they're more popular than me? Does it matter as long as the church grows, as long as people are coming to know the Lord? We just do what our assigned tasks is. And these that he was talking about, the, the Fortunatuses and the Stephanuses and the Achaicuses and the Apollos and the Timothys, they didn't look the same, they didn't act the same, and they weren't gifted the same, but they were all vital in the work of the ministry. Now, four weeks from today, or three weeks from today, the, the last Sunday in March, at the end of the second service, we're going to ask you to get in your cars and go to the other building on West Genesee Street, because we're going to have all of our ministries there, and we're going to have a ministry fair. And we believe that if you want to be part of what God is doing, then there's a place for everybody 
There's something for everybody to do. When we had our, 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 uh, our appreciation banquet for all of the volunteers, I think we had 200 people that were invited to that, that that ended up here. This church is known for its volunteerism, which is why it's easy to, to preach this series now when you're, you're doing so well. <laughs> you're doing so well. However, God is bringing us to a new place. There's a new revival that is coming. There are new things that are going to be happening. And there's a place for everybody. So first you need to know that there is a work that none can do but you. And then you need to know what the work is. And then you need to go ahead and do it. And what a wonderful way in which God chooses to put people together. If Paul had been jealous of Timothy, he would never have sent Timothy to follow him. Timothy was naturally timid, which is why Paul told them when he comes to you, make sure that he's not afraid of anything. Timothy was naturally frail because he had to keep taking a little wine for his stomach's sake. That's, by the way, that's Tums in our language today. And Timothy was chronologically disadvantaged. (laughs) He was young. The scripture said, let no man despise your youth. And the people of Corinth could have looked at this, at what Paul was doing, but, but God had told Paul, this is the man that I need to come, Timothy. And they could have said, in this massive work that's going on here, why would you choose somebody who seems so unqualified? He's frail, he's fearful, and he's unqualified because he's so young. And Paul says, listen, I understand all of that, but God assigns the tasks. God assigns the tasks. And I have to believe that one of the reasons that people do not engage in ministry is because there's this fearfulness in us. You know, we like to be liked. What happens then when we engage in ministry and people are critical of us or they feel that they could have done it better? Or they tell you they could do it better. Or I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. You know what? Sometimes you just need to put on the armor of God even when you're in the church. Because not everybody is the same in spiritual growth. And there are some people who think that they have the spiritual gift of of complaining. That's not a spiritual gift. Just means you're mean and nasty. Timothy probably felt a little intimidated as he was making his way to Corinth because he's thinking, if they did this to my mentor, Paul, if they treated him so poorly, if he struggled to do the work, then how in the world will it be when I get there and I face rejection? And I recognize that that's a debilitating factor for many today. But here's the answer. If God puts his hand upon you and shows you what to do, sign your name on the slip and get involved because his grace is sufficient and his spirit will empower. Kim, if you'd please come. Very briefly, accept your limitations. You can't do everything. Assume your responsibilities. You can do something. And don't let the evil one tell you that you are too young and frail and feeble to qualify, nor that you are too old and frail and feeble to qualify. There's something that God has for you to do, and we're going to live for a greater cause. 